like sometimes you want to hear that delicacy of bow on string. Yeah, I knew that I wanted this to be a funky Bob the Boo groove. And so for a moment, especially if you're wearing headphones or sitting squarely in front of a pair of speakers, it feels like your head's being turned inside out. Sam's messing with your head. I did drop several bolts in my home piano. B7 to the four chord. Uh, it's incredible to hear G over B. what they can come up with. Two chord, A minor seven. When they have a little room, you know. Flat seven, F major. He didn't ask about that one. No, that was a... Uh, we actually of... never talked about it. You're listening to Songs Out Loud from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm Aaron Dore. The 442s did something special last month. They removed the precious from a genre widely endangered by pretense. Yes, they're a chamber band, a folk-leaning, classical, and jazz hybrid, but their new album can accompany a Mother's Day brunch just as well as a 420 after party. If you want to hear John Denver, you will. If you want to hear John Cage, you will. Need some Prairie Home Companion vibes? Have a seat. Buster Rhymes, Travis Barker, right this way. For this episode, The Mess by the 442s. Adam provided the 14-page score plus his phone recording from an early version. Shock City Studios recording and mixing engineer Sam Mall broke me off 12 isolated instrument and vocal groups to play with, and he joins the conversation too. Season 3 of Songs Out Loud episodes are taped in front of a live audience. For this one, we packed into historic Judson House in Grand Center. Weaving isolated instrument and vocal tracks in and out of personal narrative, Songs Out Loud breaks it down instrument by instrument, lyric by lyric and beat by beat. Yeah, so the, you know, the 442s has always been mostly instrumentals, and we've always had guest vocalists, uh, specifically, most often, Aaron Bodie and Brian Owens, who were great vocalists, but they're awful busy. And so I would write these songs for them to sing with us, and we'd never get to perform them. And during the pandemic, a lot of things you know, came into well, songs out loud, happened. songs out loud. Happened. <laughs> no, but we all got these ideas of like, what do I really want to be doing? And I was like, I want to be able to play these songs that I love so much that, that, you know, we've, we've written for the 442s. And so I kind of took it upon myself to start working on my voice and, you know, I'm going to just start singing these. I'm going to have to swallow my pride and be very bad for a while and just do it in front of people. <laughs> it was sketchy for a minute, but, uh, I'm, I'm a practicer by nature, so it was a fun project to work on while nothing else was going on. I thought that we should probably set up pretty early on in this album that we were going to try some experimental things. So that's the harmonic being played on the viola. Um, and it is, there's this tool that we've got called a bit crusher, which is just Sounds a, hardcore. It's very hardcore to bit crush something. So it starts as just a pure sound and ends up being this weird kind of digital distortion artifacty sounding thing. And it kind of gives the impression from the jump that this is going to be something that's, we're going to tread some new territory here sonically. Yeah. So the first two 442s albums were basically set up mics and play it live. And that was what, what it was. And, and for this one, Sam and I consciously wanted to play the studio. I don't know technically what a bit crusher is. 
But if I say, Sam, let's do something with that harmonic that makes it weird, like, you know, that, that kind of relationship can be really fun to be like, I want this to be darker or brighter or smoky or, or something. And we can and- meander together and try different things. And I can throw out some really sort of dumb subjective thing like can you make it more glassy and he's like okay and then he can say something to me like i want it grittier or crunchier and i can kind of understand what that means you know it wasn't a question of like well can we pull this off live it was the question was what is it we want to do here what do we want to say with this tool that we have because there was it wasn't guaranteed that we would ever play live again so so we wanted to get the most out of what we have I think what we did there was took two of the mics that were on the bass and for just a moment panned them, hard left and hard right. And then I used this little audio tool that just adds tremolo to things. And so, especially if you're wearing headphones or sitting squarely in front of a pair of speakers, it feels like your head's being turned inside out for a moment. That's me putting toys on their art again. <laughs> Oftentimes it was just a case of both of us listening to something and saying, this needs something here. Right. What can we try? And we would try a bunch of different stuff. I really wanted to take the time on this one. You know, I really didn't want to do it in three days. I really wanted to spend the time on these little minute details that to me is what I love to listen to in records, you know? Like you don't, you don't, you, you can be too precious with it and be like, okay, well we can't mess with this. I think a lot of acoustic music, including classical music and including, you know, um, jazz or bluegrass and stuff, a lot of acoustic music loses out on playing the studio. I wanted to do that with this one. And so we, we definitely, like, took big swings all over the place. So in 2019... I had a solo piano gig every Sunday at Thurman's Bar and Grill in the Shaw neighborhood. I was doing Thursdays there with the trio, but I had a solo piano gig on Sunday at brunch. And I didn't want to do a Sunday brunch gig, so what I did was a prepared piano Sunday brunch gig. And I did it just so I could learn how to do it. So prepared piano is when you bring stuff like putty and rubber bands and screws and, you, and bolts, and you mess with the strings and the guts of the piano to create sound. So you're hitting the key, but instead of the hammer hitting the string, it's hitting something else. No, it's hitting the string, but the string is affected by bolts that are cutting off the string and then adding their own effect to it, and sometimes shaking around and vibrating on their own, so it sounds like a snare drum. Like, you could basically make a drum kit on an acoustic piano by putting bolts and rubber bands and screws and things and and rubber like rubber toilet stoppers you cut them up and you mute strings and I ruined my home piano experimenting with this. I didn't ruin it. It was already full of mouse poop, let's be honest. But I did I did drop several bolts in my home piano. So everything you're hearing there is probably a screw or a bolt or even like a, 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 a metal necklace strung over the piano strings. So that like there's a whole section that sounds like it's a snare drum or like it's something otherworldly. And a piano is a magical little box with a really, really beautifully dense soundboard. And so anything that you do to affect that gets really amplified. And so what you just played is... The beautiful acoustic piano at Shock City with a bunch of Ace Hardware 
nuts and bolts and cut up plungers and stuff. When you prepare a piano, do you ask permission first? Yeah. <laughs> I think I remember the first time you said, can I do some prepared piano stuff? And I was like, oh, cool, what's that? And you showed me, and, and I was like, okay, yeah. well, I guess we can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think you kind of made a promise, like, I promise I won't hurt it. And I was like, that's good enough for me. So I also, I learned and I researched how to do it without hurting it. It just, it takes, you know, you wear some gloves, you keep, I have a piano tuning kit. You make sure that the strings aren't, uh, put under too much stress. You make sure that the screws you use are brass so that they're softer than the piano strings so they're not steel screws. You can do it without damaging it. Some, of course, you know, I'm not going to do it at the Steinway at Powell Hall. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it at like, nothing, no offense to your piano, but no, 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 no. I knew I could, I knew I could, I could add what we needed to add without doing the damage. And we actually did a couple of sessions where I just prepared the piano and then we hit a bunch of songs on the album with these little details. Do you remember the first time that you had a wow moment hearing the piano sound that way and just having your mind blown and wanting to try it immediately, maybe? Hearing a prepared piano? Yeah. Yeah. It was across the street at um, the Pulitzer. I heard Peter Henderson play John Cage's prepared piano works, and it was unbelievable. Yeah. Additional musical anarchy that's happening on this track. I want to contrast that with how the song started, and that's an idea, a melody, a groove in your head. Yeah. Um, we're going to listen to the early demo of this song. Uh, yes, let's hear that. A fresh cut and a couple of shoes that were bright white back in the middle of June. And new glasses for a better view of your eyes. As soon as I had the tune, I already was starting to get ideas for what the orchestration would be, which happens often. So as soon as I know what the tune is going to be, what it's going to be about, what the feeling is, I start mapping out what I want this to be. I knew that I wanted this to be a funky Bob the Boo groove. And I wanted it to have sort of a reverse chorus, like an anti-chorus, a chorus that comes down in energy as opposed to lifts up. Such a hold on me. It knocks me off my feet. Because I thought it would be a nice effect for this particular story. And so that was, even as I was recording that, I could, I was hearing that, even though you don't really hear that there. Um, but yeah, that, that's, th those voice memos are literally so I don't forget the song yeah because i will forget i'll write a great song and i mean i've forgotten more good songs than i've recorded for sure nightmare yeah uh, what about the lyrics uh, lyric writing and singing how naturally did that come i've done a ton of lyric writing in in my youth um writing songs for aaron Bodie, writing songs for a ton of other people 
and uh, I missed it is why I wanted to, to add it to this album and also this album sort of coincided with you know I was turning 40 and like a lot of people turning 40 was wondering like why does this dissatisfaction keep hanging around you know what I mean and trying everything to figure that out as you're you know as like you're in your 30s and you're like okay I've tried a lot of stuff I've tried a ton of drugs and alcohol <laughs> at this point. I've tried sex. I've tried a lot of working out. I've tried having a, a career that's successful. I've tried a family, and I still feel not enough on the regular. And for me, this was like a time in my life where I was really rediscovering spirituality and what that meant to me. And this whole album is really about like my biggest hurdle with this is, is you know, is getting caught up and hung up on sensory pleasures. And that's why it's called Aim to Please. It's all about this hurdle and this recognition of, you know, these struggles that I have and that'll, that I know everybody has and trying to get over that hump for this second half. You know what I mean? Where it's like, okay, I cannot keep doing this the way I'm doing this because it's just not working. There's too many murder podcasts getting in the way of true happiness. You know what I'm saying? I don't care about the Sunday news or the murder podcast that you're listening to. I just want to get a better view of the mess I made. And the mess I want to make. No, and, and, so, and so this particular song is, you know, uh, it, it's, it's, it sounds like it's about a, a romantic relationship. But it's actually about, in the whole album, everything is me singing to me. This very much seems like it's to your life partner. It does, yeah. But it's really about the mess I made for myself. And I keep fucking making the same mistakes. And I keep, like, thinking that just another bottle of wine is going to fix it. Or, like, another, you know, night out is going to fix it. Or another song is going to fix it. Or another great gig and how I feel after that is going to fix it. And it never does. That's what the whole album is about. And it's it's been, like... An amazing process to go through this with my friends and have them interpret that stuff too. When they asked me to do this, I said, hey, can I come to a rehearsal just to hear, like, what do you guys sound like when you're playing together? And we, I went to a rehearsal in, I think, Bjorn's living room, and I kind of got to sit, like, where you all are sitting, and it hit me, like, this is the way to experience this music. It's so beautiful. It's so, it feels like I'm inside of it, and that's not something that I feel like I've heard before in other albums and their other albums. And so that's the kind of thing that we could do in a recording studio. So we put a pair of microphones in the middle of them to capture what does it feel like to be in the living room with the 442s. And then the spot mics are really just so that 
you might need to hear more of the sound of the string on the bow. Like, if you put your hands next to your ear and kind of do that, you can hear the skin scraping. It's sort of the same thing. Like, sometimes you want to hear that delicacy of bow on string. Other times, it's more important to just hear, like, the roar of a group of musicians. Check out the panning on this passage. It starts off pretty standard and slowly widens as it goes. Yeah, I... That's, Sam's messing with your head. I'm really messing yeah. with your head. We did the same thing with the voice on this one as well, didn't we? We started the voice as very narrow and small, and gets, the sound gets bigger. Let's hear that, Adam. Oh, did I set you up perfectly? Oh, nice. The mess I want to make But you still have such a hold on me Resolve happens traditionally in composition like elements. Here there's like an additional resolve with the dryness of that vocal But you yeah, it's, my, it's one of my favorite parts of the album is that moment because that to me is when it goes from like, you know, we're adding effects or it's acoustic and we're, we're messing with it to, you know, we really, by the end of the process, everything had a very clear intention to the story of the song. And as I said before, this one is meant to like be a, a personal reflection. And that moment is when, you know, it's like, I'm really not digging this. And then we get to a point of like, but you still have such a hold on me. Like this thing of, of like, I can still love myself. There's a grounding. There's definitely a grounding. Yeah. It's definitely me sort of finding the, that character, that character finding themselves. You still have such a hold on me. It knocks me off my feet. They'll never see the things. Here's, you know, 14 pages of this score that the musicians actually uh, with you tonight were reading um, as they played. Um, do you guys talk in terms of that one build up part? or the chorus, or do you talk about measure 42 in this A section? Like, how formal, informal are these rehearsals? So I write all the music, but I don't, I write it so that I don't have to read any music, because I'm not great at reading music, even though I write a ton of music. Uh, but they're great at reading music. So they'll often be like, oh, let's start at bar 70. And I have to be like, where is that? Can you, what is that? Is that after the chorus? What is that? So yeah, that's how that usually goes. They know every bar. That line, that violin, can you play it again? Yeah. That violin line is a direct homage to Busta Rhymes' Gimme Some More. Give me some more. Everybody spread love. Give me some more. If you want to let me hear you say it. Give me some more. 
which is sa- a sample of Bernard Herrmann's score for Psycho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was listening to Buster Rhymes' Give Me Some More, and I was like, man, that is such a great tool that he's got there and that sample. And I was like, is that Psycho? <laughs> and it was. I looked it up. It was Psycho. And so that's what that is. Where in the uh, creative process did that idea enter your mind? Because During I'm the... picturing you with the iPhone on the piano. Well, no, no, no. So that stuff like that will sit up in my mind for like, a, for like years yeah. where I'm like, I, I want to use it somewhere. I don't know where yet, but there's a thing I'm thinking about. And so when that second verse, which is where this happens, came up, I was like, it needs a different texture. Um, I'm going to need what measure that is, Adam. I don't know the measure. But it needs some kind of different texture than the first verse. And that line, I was like, oh, the psycho line. Like, and it's not exactly like the psycho line. It's, a, it's definitely an homage to the feeling of the psycho line. It's measure 43. Dressed up for a fancy night without calendar talk or pick and fight. How come I never see the mess I made in your eyes? I don't see it in your eyes. I don't see it in your eyes. I don't see it in your eyes. Ooh, I don't see it in your eyes. That is so demented sounding. Uh, that D major chord going down just a half step. It sounds so atonal, but yeah, there's no, it's, nothing. It's, it's not atonal. It's functional. Yeah. For sure. It's just a little bit out. It's so effective. Thank you. Fun fact, all one take, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> really have such a hold on me. It knocks me off my feet. You know, the last six months of the sessions were just me and Sam doing everything that you're talking about here. The piano stuff, these effects, the vocal stuff, um, and really trying to nail it. He, as you said, he's such a practicer. And usually I'm working with people who... I kind of experience them at one moment in their vocal development. So I just kind of hear what they sound like as a singer, but I'm listening to Adam's voice change over the course of years. Like, you can literally hear the difference in his voice. It knocks me off my feet. Old Adam, new Adam. Yeah, or just evolving Adam. Like, like Pokemon, he's reached his final form, Charizard <laughs> Adam. Um, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Pokemon. Right, for sure. He, he was really, like I said, I'm a practicer and I was, I'm, you know, working on at this during this time, I'm really intensely working on singing and trying to be a good singer. What's hard about it? So, you know, everything at first, just breath support pitchiness. and pitchiness is all over the place and just controlling and I'm figuring out tones and how to get tones. And I mean, luckily this is happening over a very long period of time, but Sam would always remind me as I'm trying for perfection, he's like, 
he would always remind me, you're not telling the story of the song. What's like, bring it back to the emotional tone of what I'm trying to get. And that, you know, trying for the perfect pitch is not as important as trying for the right feeling of it. And I thought that's what you were, Sam, were really good at. Thank you. Yeah. So that's an open solo section that I was just improvising a solo and I knew that was going to be a, a violin or viola solo and it ended up being a viola solo. And I wanted it to be open for, at the time, our violist Michael Casimir to improvise and he could just cue it out. It ended up being something that um, it just sort of like cemented into what it is now. And so it's not open anymore. There's no cue. There's no cue for that anymore. Yeah. But that's what I was telling myself, like this would be an on-cue on to, to move on. They have such, they're not professional improvisers, but they have such amazing musical instincts, every, every one of them, that uh, it's incredible to hear what they can come up with when they have a little room, you know. They're such melodic people. <laughs> How else to say it? Again, this song really is just a series of, uh, it's a roller coaster. and Peaks and troughs, such is life, Aaron. Joe Meyer on the drums. Came in for an afternoon and nailed it. There's no other drums on the whole track. It's just the piano, the prepared piano, and the guitar. And I think some shakers. But it needed a kick right there. You know what else it needed? is a heavy amount of flanger. Yeah, that's Sam. He didn't ask about that one. No, that was, a, that was kind of a condition of me we working on the album. We actually never talked about it. Honestly... I ripped that straight off of Travis Barker from Blink-182. Feeling this? When I think of the 442s, I also think mm -hmm. of Blink-182, for sure. And it's like the cheapest effect, but it sounds cool all the time on drums. And I put it on there. I, it was one of these things where I sort of like... I kind of tried it as like a wink and I was like, isn't this funny guys? And I put it on there and then I just sort of conveniently never took it off and nobody ever made me. And I thought, okay, cool. I got, it. I snuck it in. I snuck my Travis Barker flanger in. And here's Adam at the very end sneaking in his Travis Barker melodica. Yeah. So the first time I ever actually played a melodica on stage was at the Fox for uh, Prairie Home Companion. Remember that show? Oh, my God. It's perfect fit. Garrison Keillor. Well, it's been a quiet week in Lake Wobegon, Minnesota, my hometown. It was a magical experience. I got to play melodica on Prairie Home Companion. And I got to, we were in soundcheck, and the music director, Rich Dworsky, uh, had a melodica. And we actually ended up doing a little melodica duet on an F Blues and had a really 
Rich Dworsky from yeah, who was the longtime MD. So from that day forward, I just knew that it was going to be a part of my life, you know. So originally it was melodica all the way to the end of the song. And then we played at the Sheldon once and my buddy Peter Martin, Grammy award-winning jazz pianist was there. And after the show, he'd never heard that song before. And he came up to me and he's like, hey, I love that song, The Mess. Just do one chorus of the melodica solo and let the strings finish it. And I tried it and I loved it. And thank you, Peter Martin. But everyone else has to squint their eyes just to see the things you Can we play one thing from from this? For, what are you thinking for the crowd? For I want to I want to break the string section at the very end down. So the 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 form of this chorus of the so you still have it has a simple chord progression. It's the four chord, the five chord, D, five one four, B seven sus, B seven to the four chord C, G over B. Two chord, A minor seven, flat seven, F major, four, three, two dominant, ice cream cone walk up. Yeah, you can just keep going. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so for the end here, I wanted it to start with that chord progression, but de- completely deconstructed with the strings. This is like. This is what the 442s, I think, is so much fun to do, is you can take something as basic as that, right, as simple as that simple structure, and do this. And you don't get to hear this because, a lot of this, because I'm singing, but what's happening here in these last three choruses, I think it's bar 70 and 74, (laughs) but is it starts, it's the same thing three times in a row, but I'm just adding, I'm adding movement each time to each part. So I wonder if we could do just from that section, from 70, two, three, four. So everybody's going to have the same basic part, but adding things to it, starting with the bass. Last time we had a lot of eighth notes, a lot of movement. Oh, the next section, sorry. Quarter notes first. I hear this falling figure. 
additional flair at no cost. So, yeah. So you could hear each each section adding something, and then that very last section, and this happens throughout the entire arrangement, is just passing that that melody between everybody. Everybody is just tossing the it's hot potato, really, is what it is. And now the complete finished version, "The Mess" by the 442s. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you, Sam. Somehow you 
got your hold on me. It knocks me off my feet. And they'll never see the things you see in me. And somehow you really have such control of me that I could That everyone else has to squint their eyes just to see the things you see in me. Songs Out Loud is produced, engineered, and mixed by me, Aaron Dorr. But I got the idea to do this from my favorite songs deconstruction podcast, Song Exploder, at Radiotopia through PRX, hosted by Rishikesh Hirway. And you should definitely be subscribed there, too. The artists you hear on Songs Out Loud agree. Your digital music and merchandise purchases from their websites or places like Bandcamp are among the most direct ways you can support them. I'm a practicer by nature. Like I said, I'm a practicer. As you said, he's such a practicer. What's hard about it? So, everything. I'm a practicer. This has been a Songs Out Loud production. 